Welcome to Illumination by Modern Campus. Through this series, we'll be speaking to college and university leaders about the trends, ideas, and opportunities that are shaping the future of higher education and picking their brains for best practices and advice that leaders can apply to their own institutions. On today's episode, the Evolution's Editor-in-Chief, Amadar Walalia, speaks with Christine Collins, who is Assistant Dean of Academic Programs in the School of Continuing Studies at the University of Toronto. We talked to Christine about the hot topic of micro-credentials and how to leverage your continuing education's expertise to launch and scale these credentials at your institution. Let's get into it. Chrissy, thank you so much for joining us for the Illumination uh, by Modern Campus podcast. We really appreciate it. So happy to be here, Amrit. <laughs> so, I mean, let's jump right in. You know, this is, we're in a special feature about micro-credentialing right now. The Evolution Modern Campus Upsia work together on research about micro-credentialing. At any conference you go to, you'll see 10 or 15 sessions about micro-credentialing. Why are micro-credentialists capturing our imagination right now? Well, they are the hot new thing. And I think part of the reason they're capturing our attention is that we are constantly fed information about there being a skills gap and about remaining competitive. And I think, you know, people are hearing the term micro-credential and thinking, this is new. This is exciting. This seems short. This seems affordable uh, and something that we can support. So I think that it's it's a lot to do with the brand, a lot to do with the branding, the idea of something being micro, not super long term, not requiring a lot of investment. So I think that's why it's capturing our attention. But then I think on the more concrete level, like within a university, what's exciting about it is being able to measure things and provide proof of learning that we haven't necessarily always measured before and and illustrated externally before. So that's where it's exciting inside an institution, I believe. But I think, you know, outside of an institution, it's just the idea of quick, rapid upskilling so that we can remain competitive on a provincial and national scale. You know, it's kind of neat that you framed it, I guess, across those, those two lines, because we do have to remember that what's exciting inside an institution might not necessarily be exciting outside of it. You know, the things that that we look at as being engaging or exciting. So when you think about from an internal perspective, like we tend to speak from the context of continuing education, but do you think there's a broader recognition of the fact that, you know, degrees and traditional forms of learning recognition don't necessarily go beyond signaling when it comes to helping an individual sort of communicate their skills, their competencies and their abilities externally? Well, I think it really depends on who you ask. (laughs) I mean, the way I prefer to think about this is kind of like a a constellation of learning and different types of indicators of what a learner would have learned and acquired throughout their um, academic career and then throughout their actual work career. Um, And sometimes those things are the same thing. um, And sometimes they diverge. So I think, you know, the idea that micro-credentials could replace or be more important than a degree, for example, is kind of a false concept. The degree will continue to exist. A micro-credential can exist along with degrees and along with, you know, regular non-credit certificates and along with professional certificates of achievement, certificates of completion. There's all kinds of different alternative credentials that should and will continue to exist in addition to a four-year degree, a professional master's program, a PhD, all of those things to me are part of a constellation. So we get excited about micro-credentials, I think, because we we know that um, governments are talking about these things. They're very excited about it. There's funding available. But I think sometimes we forget that in order to produce these things, 
and these learning experiences, we need to invest in them. It's not, it's not an automatic moneymaker. You need to invest in high quality program development. You need to invest in high quality infrastructure to support them. It's not a quick win, even though it's micro, it's, there's certainly a lot of work that goes into, into making them actually successful and useful for people. I want to come back to a point that you made right at the start there, because that's super, super important and it, and it tends to get overlooked. I mean, whenever we're talking about innovations in higher education, for whatever reason, there's this sort of gut reaction that leads people to say, what, or why, why are we replacing the degree? Why are we, you know, and it's not a question of we need to get rid of stuff. It's a question of how do we create more opportunities? I loved the phrasing, a constellation of offerings, the constellation of credentials, because the institution can is capable of doing more than one thing at a point in time. It's possible, I promise it's possible. Um, so how are you seeing the role of continuing education as, as micro-credentials capture our imagination more and more, as institutions try to find new ways to serve new learners in more diverse ways? How is the role of continuing education evolving to deliver on that new mission? So I think, you know, we're positioned really uniquely because folks who work in continuing education, first of all, it's a profession. We take it very seriously. We care about adult learners. We're very connected to industry. And we really need to think about people from the point where they actually graduate from an undergraduate degree, right all the way through to retirement and what they might need. And so I think, you know, for us, we're always thinking about what people need at different stages of their, of their life and career. And so creating a micro-credential is just another response is another format to someone who's looking for um, skill development and in a relatively short, quick hit. They know exactly what they're looking for. They have a sense of the learning outcomes they might need um, to be able to progress in their existing role or to learn their existing role or to progress into another role. So I think, you know, we're, we're uniquely positioned that we're always thinking that way. We're always thinking about what people might need. And one of the things I've been working with my team internally is to put yourself in the position of not somebody who works in a university, not someone who is an academic, but put yourself in the position of someone who is in a career that is changing. Someone who's working in digital marketing, for example, or in working in traditional marketing that's completely transitioned to digital. What are the types of learning they might need? When would they want to receive it? What would it look like? What would be the appropriate format? And what would be a, a really authentic assessment model for that? So rather than thinking we're the university, we offer 12-week courses with really rigorous multiple choice exams with a midterm assignment. You know, rather than thinking about that, think about what is a 40-year-old who's worked in marketing for 20 years looking for in order to make it to the next step in their career. So that whole thinking is something that continuing educators do all the time. We have to constantly be reminded because we often get pulled back into traditional models, but really think about what are all those pieces. So Sometimes that means a professional master's. Sometimes it means a full length course. Sometimes it means a certificate. Sometimes it means a one day workshop. Other times it means a micro credential, you know? So it's really about where you are and what your needs are and making sure that we're responsive to all of those things. Because the reality is if, if a university is not doing it, someone else is gonna do it. And people are less discerning about when, when they're actually looking for the learning and not necessarily a piece of paper, they're less discerning about who's delivering it. It has to be high quality, but it doesn't have to be a university. So in order for us to remain competitive, we need to keep doing those things. Honestly, I mean, that's where the bootcamp industry came from. At its absolute core, it's, it's the fact that when someone's looking for a specific skill or a specific capacity, I was looking for upskilling and reskilling, the, the brand doesn't matter as much to them as the deliverable. 
And your point about like, how does the institution take its offerings and make sure that there's opportunities for, for everyone. This is, a, there was a, a fellow, he recently retired at Oregon State University called Dave King. And that was, he had a concept called the spectrum of access, which is exactly that idea, right? Like if the institution is designed to serve everyone in its community, what are the various levels of, of rigor and the various levels of monetary investment that every single individual is looking to make? And then how do you modularize programming and how do you create program offerings and cuts of programming that are going to allow that access, those, those diverse access points at each stage? It's a fascinating thought experiment because I think it really puts into question to some extent, like, well, what's the mission of the institution and, and how are we working toward it? Now, every institution is going to have a different population of learners. Now, when you think about sort of the University of Toronto, and the University of Toronto, for those of you who, you know, well, I'm sure everyone's heard of the University of Toronto, <laughs> but it's right in downtown Toronto. Toronto is the, 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 the economic center of Canada. All, you know, apologies to people in Montreal. So, you know, when you think about the, the audiences you're serving and, and the opportunity that you have, especially for professional and continuing development in, in this area, where do micro-credentials fit as a mechanism to serve that audience? Well, I mean, I think they fit in, in ways that all alternative credentials fit. So I actually see continuing education as having huge capacity to extend the university's reach. Mm -hmm. So extending the reach to newcomers to Canada, extending the reach to folks who've never seen themselves as U of T students, extending the reach to retirees who are looking to explore their horizons beyond, you know, just keep their mind busy in, in retirement. So you know, I really see that that's our role in delivering alternative credentials in general. Micro-credentials are, are another piece of that, maybe a little bit more closely aligned to industry and what industry is looking for. We're really working in micro-credentials around business and professional studies areas and, and collaborating with industry to develop them and to ladder them. So there's lots of potential there, but I really think you know, universities need to embrace the capacity of continuing studies to extend their brand. It's so interesting because I often see on LinkedIn, you know, the university, my university is announcing a new course and, you know, the course seems so, so exciting. And I look into it and it's like, oh, well, that's part of a, an undergraduate program and you need to be enrolled in the entire undergraduate program to have access this, to this incredible course. And it's, it's great that we're marketing it, but the access is so limited. And for me, as someone who, you know, is in their 40s, mid-career, I'm not going back to do an undergrad just to take this single course. So I really think the continuing studies divisions can be working with those faculties to look at that course and recraft it for an open enrollment audience, a non-credit audience in a non-credit setting, and maybe in, in a micro-credential format, you know, so there's there's just so much potential. Universities are just these incredible, incredible places where so much is happening in terms of research and scholarship and discovery. And I think we have great capacity in continuing education to mobilize that knowledge and make it accessible to a broader audience. And some of that is happening already, but I, I really hope that it expands just beyond the micro-credential conversation. I mean, I know we're talking about micro-credentials and I know it's incredibly exciting, but I, I think that it's, it's not just one. It's not the only answer. It's a very important answer. And it's great that there's attention on that right now, but ultimately everything we do should should have a high quality foundation and then the format in which it's delivered and the credential tied to it should correspond to what the learner's looking for so that's mm. that's really what it's all about is looking at it from a big big picture perspective well you know you made an interesting point there about the opportunity to collaborate and i think what what we do tend to see is when something appears on the market 
that's potentially revenue generating. There is a tendency not to collaborate from those that stand to generate said revenue. I think that's the nicest way I could put that. So when you look at these opportunities and you see sort of the fact that this is an unregulated space where, you know, there's a perception that this, it's going to lead to quick revenue generation, how can continuing education make the point to colleagues across campus that it's better to approach this with a collaborative mindset than to look at it as, you know, a Disney villain holding dollar sign bags uh, and to actually, you know, collaborate on, on the creation and delivery of these offerings. So I think, you know, you said perception, like the perception that these things make money. And I think that is the perception and an absolute misconception that high quality programming doesn't cost money to produce. I mean, I think that's the ultimate message. And I've been trying to do some education among my colleagues that, first of all, if you collaborate with a continuing studies unit, you're not collaborating just for them to be the back end. We don't, we don't want to be a back office. We have expertise in adult continuing education, and we're very, very good at it. So if you want to work with us, let's collaborate in content, let's collaborate in assessment, let's collaborate, collaborate in format. That's one thing. The other piece is that all of that back office work costs money. It's, you know, our margins in continuing studies are actually really small. And the reason for that is when you produce high quality programs, you work with high quality people, you compensate them appropriately, and then you provide high quality services. And all of those things, you know, represent a significant investment. So although the gross revenue on micro-credentials and continuing studies in general is considerable, I mean, the gross revenue is considerable, but once you really look at the cost, the margins are small. And, and they have to be that way because we want to be able to be open and welcoming and accessible to everyone. So ultimately, I think there is a, a great deal of excitement and this thought that, oh, we can just cut up what we already do and, and make it available in a micro-credential format. We're going to make all this money. It's a nice concept. It's a nice thought. But when you really look at it, many faculties and divisions aren't adequately um, set up in terms of infrastructure to support open enrollment education. And, you know, we're talking about systems, you know, we're set up with modern campus as our registration system, different than the rest of the student information system, different than the rest of the university. Not all units have access to that. You know, we've developed systems that work are interoperable, interoperable. Whoa, I can't say that word. They work together. I always struggle with this word interoperability. I think that yeah, I, think I, think I, I maybe I maybe added a syllable. Anyway, I'm not an academic, so you know the the bottom line is the systems that we have in place are specifically designed for open enrollment adult education, and um, so it's a matter of systems and expertise. And without those things, it's it's very hard to get these types of initiatives off the ground. It's not to say they can't be done, um, but if if you're looking to generate uh, significant revenue, you got to invest. So it's yeah, important. and that it tends to be overlooked. I mean, I think with with continuing education in general. And this is what we saw from this sort of decentralization process that happened through the early 2010s and, and basically coming out of the Great Recession, where all these faculties were looking at the revenue generated by continuing education and looking at the subject matter and saying, well, hold on, my faculty should be generating that revenue. So, okay, well, let's disband continuing education. We'll have continuing education as a function of each faculty independently. And we kind of got to this point where everyone was doing continuing ed off the side of their desks without really realizing that, hey, this takes specific processes, specific tools, specific expertise, an entirely different approach to program development, design, and structure 
a different approach to assessment and a different approach to credentialing. And so, you know, I think it's interesting. We've seen a few continuing ed divisions relaunched over the past sort of three or four years as, as more and more colleges and universities have recognized the necessity for continuing ed specialists. You made an interesting point, though. It's not just infrastructure that continuing ed provides, it's expertise. So I'm hoping you can speak a little bit more to that idea of, you know, where does the balance of expertise between continuing ed and a main campus faculty exist? What does continuing ed bring to the table in that kind of mm-hmm. collaboration? And then what should the faculty be bringing to the table? Like what, what should be the expectation for these partnerships? Well, I mean, we have quite a few of these partnerships on campus at U of T. And um, I would say what, what really makes them work is a level of trust, respect, and collaboration in that the partners that we work with trust that we understand what's best from the business perspective. So we, as continuing education professionals, we kind of we kind of bridge both. We bridge the academic world. Like I, I joked earlier that I'm not an academic, but my role is assistant dean academics. I oversee our academic programs and all of our academic partnerships. So I have to have a keen sense of what matters from an academic perspective and how to balance theory and practice in a continuing education course. So that, that's really where our work with the faculty in terms of course design can be really beneficial is that we we have the capacity to translate not, uh, traditional academic knowledge and, and weave it into a continuing education, adult education experience. So I think that's where, you know, when we say not just back office, it's, it's that expertise. Our learning innovation group is, is highly skilled at working with exceptional researchers and academics to translate that knowledge and make it useful for, for someone who's working in industry. So I think, you know, that's really how it can and should work. So in addition to that translational capacity, the other thing that we're quite skilled at is understanding the market and understanding how to market a program, how to price a program, how to structure a program, how to make it accessible, um, how to tie it with uh, to an industry, either designation or professional associations requirements for professional development. You know, we, under, we understand that world. So we kind of bridge both. And in an ideal world, we're working collaboratively with our faculty partners to build something that we couldn't do on our own, that we couldn't do on our own and they can't do on their own. So we're both bringing value to the partnership and that's when it really, really works well. Um, And we have a couple of examples of that at U of T and I'm super proud of those partnerships. I think we've done a really, really great job and we've grown their reach out into the community and we work to then serve professionals who have graduated from the program. For example, we have a great social work program and it's great for social workers who are out in the field. They're, They're running their own social work practice or they're working in someone else's practice. And, uh, and they can come back to us for professional development that's delivered through the school, but um, generated from the faculty. Well, Chrissy, I mean, we are coming up on time here. Is, is there anything you'd like to add about sort of micro-credentialing and, and the capacity for continuing education to, to drive this, this institution-level innovation? I mean, I, w- I would just add that, like, we're very excited about micro-credentials. And I, and I know I feel like I maybe haven't um, given them the credit that they deserve. I think they're they're really an excellent tool um, specifically for learners to be able to communicate the skills that they've developed and acquired. And I do think they bring in a level of 
equity uh, that's really interesting for learners and for, for universities to facilitate that equity and expose the learners to employers and, and allow them to actually be able to illustrate and communicate their skills. I love that capacity. So I do think, you know, it's, it's a really, really exciting time. And in terms of continuing education, I would just say, you know, reach out. If you're curious about micro-credentials and what's happening, it's, it's highly likely that the continuing studies division within your university is actively working on this. Let's not reinvent the wheel, find ways to work together and, and go into those conversations with an open mind. I mean, I think our expertise is sometimes misunderstood. And I think, you know, it's, it's just, it's always great to have that initial conversation. And many times after I have that initial conversation with folks, they're like, oh my goodness, why would we even do this ourselves? We should totally be working with you. Mm -hmm. And, and we love that. We would love to work with different faculties and divisions to, to bring learning to a broader audience. So I think that's ultimately our goal. And, uh, and micro-credentials may be the entry point for, you know, a long lasting marriage. Who knows? It's, it's, we start with micro credentials, we move into full length certificates, we move into big programs who, who knows there's lots and lots of potential. So, so yes, I, I mean, micro credentials are a great entry point, but uh, yeah, longer term continuing studies has really a great role to play in terms of extending the university's reach into the community. And ultimately that's what it's all about. This episode is brought to you by Modern Campus in partnership with The Evolution. Modern Campus empowers higher ed institutions to thrive when radical change is required to deal with lower student enrollments and revenue, rising costs, crushing student debt, and even school closures. Powered by the industry's only student-first modern learner engagement platform, presidents and provosts can work with Modern Campus to create pathways for lifelong learners while marketing and IT can deliver Amazon-like personalization and instant fulfillment. To find out more on how you can transform your institution to meet the needs of today's modern learner, 